Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're still well. If you're in the U.S. and you're listening to this when it's new and you're old enough and eligible, I hope you're registered to vote and that you have a plan to do so, be it early by mail or in person on November 3rd. And if you're not in the U.S., well, <laughs> I'm a little jealous of all of you these days. I hope you're well and that your government is functioning better than ours. <laughs> But enough of that. We have another long play to go through today, so we should get on with the real purpose of this podcast. Uh, yes, it's another play by Plautus today, Bacchides, which is the plural of the name Bacchus. Um, we don't have a specific date for this play, but scholars are pretty sure that it's from late in his career. And we don't actually have the entire play. We have most of it, but almost the entire introduction has been lost. Um, there are some surviving fragments, and some translators use those fragments and context clues to write their own version of that missing section. I'm using the Douglas Parker translation from 1999, and he is one of those translators that has done just that. Um, I love what he wrote, but it really is Parker's writing, not Plautus's. Parker underlines the lines drawn from the surviving fragments, and there just aren't that many pieces left. Um, so I'm going to put a pin in this topic and come back to it in the analysis section because there's more to talk about in regards to it, but I think we should look at the rest of the text first. The Parker translation I'm using comes from the same book as the Berg translation that I used for Miles Gloriosus, um, and it follows a similar style. It's a great script, first of all. As an actor, I really like having a modern script like this um, to get a sense of the play, especially when we're dealing with these comedies that were so physical. So having those stage directions um, is, is useful. Um, and it's also a very modern translation. Like we saw with Berg, Parker has translated all of the names, except for our title characters, um, which... If you think about it, Plautus was drawing from Greek plays, and he translated those Greek names into Latin. So, I, I don't have a problem with this. I, I think it's, I think it's great, and I think, I think it makes it more accessible. Um, so, as with Miles Gloriosus, I'm going to give you the Latin names and Parker's translations here. Um, but also, since I'm working from the Parker translation. His names, those translated names, are what I'm going to use um, going forward in in the summary. Um, so first of all, we have our title characters, Bacchus and her sister, Bacchus. Um, sometimes, depending on the script that you have, um, sometimes they're Bacchus 1 and Bacchus 2, or Bacchus A and Bacchus B. Um, to keep them separate more easily, Parker calls them Bacchus 1 and Sissy, although we'll see that Sissy would prefer to be called by her proper name of Bacchus. Are you confused yet? <laughs> the the Bacchides, the Bacchus sisters, are our noble-ish prostitutes, and each of them has a love-struck young man. Um, there's Pistoclerus, or Easygo, and uh, Nasilicus, or Intensities. Um, their fathers are Philoxenus, or Easy Come, and Nicobulus, or Kermudgeus. Um, yes, Parker does have a bit of fun with uh, a man named Easy Come, who has a son named 
easy go, easy come, easy go. Um, there is a Miles Gloriosus character named Cleomachus or Major Machismo. Um, on the servant and slave side of things, we have Puer or Gizmo, who works for Major Machismo, and Parasitus or um, Lycus, uh, who is his parasite, um, which you might have guessed from his Latin name, Parasitus. Um, Artamo, or Shambles, is Kermudges' overseer, and Chrysalus, or Nugget, is Kermudges' slave. And Nugget uh, fills in that clever slave role in this play. Um, the final character is Lidus, or Zugma, easy goes tutor. Lidus just means he's from Lydia, um, so Zugma, you know, it's just a name. Um, the play is set in Athens. Um, the right and left exits lead either to the harbor or to the forum or agora. Um, our upstage doors lead to the houses of Bacchus one on one side and Kermudges on the other side with an alley in between. And on stage there's also a shrine to Bacchus, the god, not the sisters, and Apollo. So the sisters are Bacchus with an I in that last syllable, and the god is Bacchus with a U in that last syllable. And I, my Midwestern Michigan accent is going to have a hard time pronouncing that in a way that you will be able to differentiate. Um, so unless I specify the god, presume that I'm talking about one of the sisters. Um, Parker notes that this is a long play and is probably longer than it should be. So let's take a short break. Um, and then just dive right in. The play begins, well, as I noted, we don't know exactly how the play begins because the prologue and introductory scene or scenes have been lost except for 34 fragmentary lines and I mean fragmentary. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead to the surviving portion. Um, it, we begin very in medioras, which is why we know something's missing. Uh, Bacchus One and Sissy are talking on one side of the stage and Easy Go is standing uncomfortably on the other side of the stage and the sisters agree that they have a good plan. Like I said, you can see why this can't possibly be the beginning of the play. We're clearly missing some entrances and some conversations. Um, yeah. The sisters put on a show of melodramatic woe. Bacchus One tells Easygo that Sissy is looking for someone to buy out her contract with Major Machismo. She'd do it herself, but she just doesn't have the money. The Major might show up at any minute, so maybe Easygo should just come inside for a drink while he waits. Easygo tries to resist. He tells them he fears... Um, fierce Bacchae, as in um, the women who practice this very frenzied worship of the god Bacchus. Um, and yes, I will come back to this topic in the analysis section. Um, but ultimately, Ezigo simply can't resist the charms of Bacchus One. But before they can eat, they need provisions. And Bacchus One bats her eyes and asks Ezigo to go to the market and bring back food and drink. He exits. The sisters agree that Ezigo is quite the catch and then exit into Bacchus One's house. Easygo enters along with Zugma and a number of slaves carrying everything that's just been purchased at the market. Zugma, as you'll recall, is Easygo's tutor, and he is 
not pleased with his students' current behavior, um, you know, taking up with the local madam. He tries a variety of arguments, all of which easy go counters, meaning that, you know, really wasn't a bad teacher. Um, <laughs> anyway, the scene ends with Izigo dragging Zugma along as everyone exits into the house of Bacchus One. Nugget enters. He greets the audience. He greets the statue of Apollo and asks that god for help keeping his old master out of the way while well, he speaks to his young master and Izigo. Intensities, his young master, send a letter to Izigo about his sweetheart Bacchus. Izigo enters from Bacchus One's house. Nugget greets him and Izigo asks after Intensities. Nugget asks if Izigo has figured out where Bacchus lives yet. Izigo says that of course he has. She lives right here in the house he just came from. Before Nugget can exit to give Intensities this news, Izigo warns him that the Major is on his way with the money needed to secure Bacchus. Nugget says that he knows where there is money enough. Izigo exits into Bacchus One's house, um, and Nugget prepares to exit into Kermudges' house. Before he gets a chance, the old man himself enters. Kermudges asks Nugget what has happened to Intensities. Did he collect the 30,000 drachmas of gold from Prestigius, as Kermudges had sent him to do? Nugget tells Kermudges that he tried, but Prestigius claimed the receipt was a fake and took Intensities to court. But the court forced Prestigius to, uh, um, sorry, the court found against Prestigius and forced him to pay the money as originally planned. Um, But then when they were sailing back to Athens, they were chased by pirates, so they turned tail and sailed back to Ephesus and left the gold with Plutocrates at Diana's temple in Ephesus. So if Kermudges really wants his money, he needs to go to Ephesus and get it from Plutocrates, but he needs to take Intensity's ring so that Plutocrates knows that he's legit. Are you confused yet? Yeah, (laughs) you can tell we are missing an important section of this play. Uh, Kermudges exits to the market to track down Intensities, and Nugget tells the audience that um, this tale that he's spun will keep Kermudges out of the way while he helps Intensities secure Bacchus with the money that is not actually in Ephesus, but that they brought back with them from Ephesus. Um, Nugget exits to the harbor. Zugma bursts out of Bacchus One's house, shouting about how wild Bacchus and Bacchus are, and that they really should be called Bacchae, again, Um, I'll come back to what that means because we're talking about the worshippers of the god Bacchus. Um, He rants for a while and then says that he's going to tell Easycom all about what Easy goes up to. He exits to the forum. Intensities enters from the harbor. There is a slightly confusing moment. Intensity sees a he coming, but there's no surviving note of anyone entering and no one joins the scene. Parker notes that the context suggests that either Nugget or Kermudges, um should be that unknown he, and um, and Parker provides an amusing addition in which Kermudges enters in a fury and storms into his house, all without ever seeing Intensities, who tries to speak to him throughout the cross. Um, Parker suggests that this might fix a plot hole in which Kermudges has exited to the forum and will next enter from his house. So something like this may be in your translation or there might just be a weird line or your translator might have cut that line altogether because it it doesn't make sense just standing on its own. Um, Anyway, after a bit more soliloquizing, Intensity sees Easy Come and Zugma coming and hides. Easy Come and Zugma enter, heading toward Bacchus One's house. Zugma accuses Easy Come of being too, well, easy on his son, while Easy Come argues that boys will be boys, which 
Yeah, just as problematic in an ancient setting as in a modern one, but we still have more plot to go, so we're not going to dwell on that. Intensities eavesdrops and realizes that it is his request that has gotten his friend Ezigo into trouble. As he listens, he moves more into view until Zugma finally spots him. Intensities then joins the conversation and learns from Zugma that Ezigo has fallen in love with a woman named Bacchus. <laughs> Intensity says that can't be true because Ezigo was in search of Bacchus on his behalf, but Zugma describes what he saw inside Bacchus one's house. Intensities is distraught at this news. He's betrayed. His BFF has fallen in love with his girl. Zugma and Ezicom exit. Intensities soliloquizes some more. He's definitely in love, but now Ezigo is too, and they're in love with the same woman, Bacchus. But after much argument with himself, Intensities decides that there's only one thing to do. He needs to break up with both of them and give the money back to his father. Do you remember the money? The money that Nugget told Kermuches was left at a temple in Ephesus? Yeah, Intensities really does have it. He really brought it back with him. Um, so Intensities exits into Kermudges' house. Easygo enters drunkenly from Bacchus One's house. He wonders where Intensities is and heads toward Kermudges' house to find him. Intensities enters, exclaiming about how he has given all of the money back to his father. Easygo is thrilled to see Intensities, but the feeling is not mutual. Intensities tells Easygo that he knows about Easygo's relationship with Bacchus. After a bit of work, Ezigo managed to explain that he is, but it's not the same Bacchus because there are two of them. And the two young men exit into Bacchus One's house. Likas and Gizmo, the Major's parasite and slave respectively, enter. They knock on Bacchus One's door, which is a scene that takes far longer than is probably necessary, but that's comedy for you. Ezigo enters. Lika says that they've come for Bacchus, or the money. Either works. Ezigo tells them to tell the Major that she's in love with someone else. Likas and Gizmo exit to the harbor. Intensities enters and sings a rather emo song about how he's messed everything up by giving the money back to his dad, which means he no longer has, to, has the money available to buy out Bacchus's, which is to say, Sissy's, contract with the Major. Ezigo tries to cheer him up. Intensities starts... Intensities starts to exit to the forum when Ezigo sees Nugget coming from the harbor. Nugget enters and sings a song about himself and how awesome he is. He notices Intensities and Ezigo when he's done singing. Intensities explains how he returned the money and Nugget bemoans how this will affect both of them. Then he hatches a plan to get it back. He sends Ezigo into Bacchus One's house for writing supplies. Then he dictates a letter for Intensities to write to Kermudges. Basically saying that Nugget is trying to scam him to get money for intensities to spend on wine and women and, worst of all, living like a Greek. Just in case you've forgotten that, despite the fact that this play is set entirely in Greece, uh, but still a good Roman may want all of Greek's literature and art and religion, but to actually live like a Greek? To live like one? Oh, shameful. But back to the letter. It says that Nugget is mad at Intensities for giving back all of the gold and that Kermudges should tie up Nugget and keep an eye on him himself. Nugget takes the finished letter and sends Easygo and Intensities off to the house of Bacchus One to enjoy themselves. Nugget tells the audience that this may seem odd, but he really does have a plan and knows what he's doing. 
Curmudges enters, grumbling about how Nugget has ruined his day. Upon realizing that his slave is on stage, she tells him that he knows that the money isn't in Ephesus. Nugget quickly gives him the letter. Curmudges reads the letter and exits briefly to get Shambles and more slaves. He tells Shambles to tie Nugget up before he starts an interrogation based on the letter that Nugget had dictated to Intensities. Nugget manages to talk his way out of it by convincing Curmudges to go to Bacchus One's house and peek inside. Curmudges does and reports that he sees Easy Go sitting with Bacchus and his son sitting with... Well, he doesn't know who this other woman is. He asks if Nugget does. He responds that he does, but he's not going to tell. Before this conversation can go any farther, Major Machismo enters quite loudly and quite obliviously of everyone else on stage. He's determined to catch intensities in his Bacchus, which is to say sissy, in flagrante. Nugget tells Curmudges that he can handle the major, but he has to be released first. And Curmudges finally tells Shambles to let him go. Once Nugget starts speaking to the major, the major realizes that he's not alone on stage. (laughs) Nugget tells the major that he can help recover his money, but the only way to do that is to make the major look bad. The major agrees. Nugget points out Curmudges and tells the major to just go and ask for the money. Nugget then tells Curmudges that he's bartered the price down to the original sum and negotiates a verbal contract that Curmudges will pay the major. Nugget then says that Intensities has moved to the country and Sissy has gone to Minerva's temple. The major exits to try and find her. Nugget then tells Curmudges to let him go into Bacchus One's house to talk some sense into Intensities. He exits. Curmudges comments that he isn't sure he should trust Nugget and decides to read the letter again, and he exits into his house because that's where he's left the letter. Nugget then enters carrying another letter, and he gives a lengthy soliloquy that is largely a brag in which he compares himself to the heroes of the Trojan War. Uh, He explains that he is now going to double his money by getting the original amount out of Curmudges again. Curmudges enters, and Nugget gives him this new letter. This new letter says that Intensities will die if Nugget isn't given the money. Nugget counsels that Curmudges should not do as asked, but it's a long letter. It goes on to say that Intensities has gotten tangled up with the wife of the major, and if it weren't for Nugget, he'd be in even worse trouble. But he has to pay the woman off before sundown to get himself out of this trouble. He promises to pay it back, but he has to be alive in order to do so. So he really needs the money first. Curmudges asks Nugget what he should do, and Nugget replies that, you know, he has two choices. He's either going to lose his money or he lo- he's going to lose his son. So it, it, you have to weigh that out. Curmudges tells Nugget to wait while he goes into the house to get the money. After much persuasion, Curmudges convinces Nugget to take the money. Curmudges exits, and Nugget takes the money into Bacchus One's house. Easy Come enters from the forum. He's been thinking about his son and trying to decide if he really has been too lenient of a father. Curmudges enters and, not seeing Easy Come, speaks to the audience. He's realized that the Major never had a wife and that Nugget has swindled him out of the gold. The two men finally notice each other and bemoan what has become of their sons. They decide to confront Bacchus and go and knock on her door. Both Bacchus and Sissy enter, and they call the old men sheep before having a private conversation in which they decide uh, who will go after which man. They then each seduce one of the old men, and all four ex- exit into Bacchus One's house. A producer enters and tells the audience that if the old men hadn't been rotten from the time they were young, they would never have succumbed to the wiles of the Bacchus sisters. And the play is over, so the audience can now applaud.
I do wonder why Berg and Parker picked the plays that they did um, to include in their five comedies of Plautus and Terrence um, collection. Um, I really wish it were a complete works, um, but I'm also sure that their translations um, took a lot of work to write because they are, I think they're really well done. Um, Anyway, this is already going to be a long episode, so I won't dwell on how there are so few plays in this wonderful translation. As with much of Plautus, this play is based on a lost play of Menander. Um, The title of that one roughly translates to Double Deceiver, um, but Plautus takes the tack of if two is good, then three is better. Um, Menander's play, as far as we know, ends when the clever slave um, duped the old master out of the money for the second time. Double Deceiver, right? He deceived him twice. Um, Plautus adds the final deceit in which the two sisters then seduce the fathers, bringing them down to the level of their sons. Um, personally, I find that it leaves us on an odd note, but then my one big complaint about Plautus is that I frequently find that he doesn't know how to end a play, so it just ends. <laughs> um, this one, of course, has the added problem of no longer having a beginning. Clearly from both context and the surviving fragments, we are missing something that belongs at the beginning. And Parker makes it very clear to say, Um, that the pre-act he provides to fill in this missing section is his own work, um, save the handful of lines that he took from those surviving fragments. And if you are looking at his text, he does underline those original lines. You can kind of see how he took those and put together something, plus the context clues from from the rest of the play um, that did survive. Um, But I I mean, so I think that he does a, a good job creating an introduction that helps fill in some of the confusion over what on earth is happening in this play. Um, So in his introduction, we meet Bacchus one, and she's followed around by Izigo, who explains that he's looking for a girl for his friend. Um, But not just any girl. He's looking for one named Bacchus. So of course, Bacchus thinks that means her. um, And, and then Izigo exits and Bacchus tells the audience that she's getting ready for her sister Bacchus to return. Um, cause it can't, you know, classic new comedy trope is just confusion over who is who. Um, Ezigo enters and tells the audience that there's one little problem. He has fallen for Bacchus, um, Bacchus one, that is. Um, then Ezigo explains that he's friends with Intensities, who's been sent off to Asia Minor to learn about money. And while he's been away in Ephesus, Intensities has fallen in love with a prostitute named Bacchus, who is contracted to a soldier named Major Machismo. The Major's been transferred to Athens, which means Bacchus will soon be in Athens too, so could dear friend Ezigo track her down for him? And Ezigo has done just that and discovered that Bacchus lives right next door to Intensities. Um, while Ezigo is telling the audience all of this, fearsome, a slave belonging to Bacchus one runs on to let his mistress know that the Major's ship has docked and Ezigo exits. Bacchus one. uh enters and sings a happy cleaning song with her slaves. I seriously can't help but think about the let's sing a happy cleaning song. Anyway, um, (laughs) so so they get ready for Sissy to show up. Sissy enters along with Gizmo, the major slave, and we get confusion over the fact that they are sisters who are both named Bacchus. And it turns out that this is because their mother worshipped Bacchus, the god of wine. Um, Gizmo explains that Sissy is still under contract to the Major unless she pays a massive sum of 10,000 drachmas to buy her freedom. 
The sisters manage to scare Gizmo off and then start plotting how they will get the money to free Sissy. Easygo enters and they decide that he is the perfect person to use in the scheme. And that is where Parker moves from his pre-act into Plotus's Act 1. But in case that isn't enough introduction, um, and given that a god frequently provides a prologue in new comedy, in an appendix to this book, Parker also provides a prologue to be delivered by the god Bacchus. Um, and, and he Parker says that this is completely his own contrivance. Um, there is no contextual evidence for this. He has made this up. Um, so he doesn't recommend it being used in performance, but it it provides some useful context um, to put the text of uh, Bakides in history. Um, so that brings me to what this play is really about. Like I said, the long episode. I'm sorry about that. Um, it's about Bacchus, the god, and his cult. Bacchus was a late addition to the Pantheon, and his cult caused a lot of disruption. It happened, caused disruption in Greece, and it caused disruption when it came to Rome. Um, now, Rome had really specific rules about religion. There were legal gods, and there were gods that were not legal. Um, so, it, but it didn't mean that you were allowed to worship other gods, but there were strict rules on where where you could worship. Um, so there were gods that you were allowed to worship and there were gods you were not allowed to worship, at least not within the city. So when new cults arrived, including Christianity, it was disruptive. That's why um, there are all of these like temples outside the walls of Rome or why the catacombs um, that are famous for, Christ- for Christianity are outside the walls, why all these burials happen outside of Rome. Close, you, you know, you can walk to them, but but they weren't in the city because it was not legal for them to be in the city, but you could do it just outside the walls. Um, Burying the dead was also not allowed inside the wall. So when we get to history, we'll talk all about that. It's Roman history is fun. Um, But so, so the new cults were disruptive. Um, This play was written around the time that the cult of Bacchus was being introduced to the Italian peninsula, which, of course, means Rome. And when I say that the worship of Bacchus was disruptive, I mean disruptive. Um, If I say Bacchanal, you probably imagine a bunch of people getting drunk. Um, This is where we get the stereotype of a toga party, right? Um, People are dancing around the forest. Maybe there's a little nudity. Um... When we get to the Bacchae by Euripides, we will see just how wild the worship of Bacchus or Dionysus can become. Um, Here we see it in these two women named Bacchus who manipulate these men out of vast sums of money. Now, sure, the clever slave plays a role, um, and some of that money does stay with other characters, but the plot is driven by Bacchus and her sister Bacchus. And they do nothing except lead good men to ruin. And much like this new cult of the god Bacchus might do to a good Roman man. You know, you suddenly fall in with worshipping this god of wine and frenzy and wild worship in the forest. That's not what a good Roman man does, right? So we've got following that god Bacchus. Well, it's the same as if you follow one of these women, Bacchus. So the whole comedy is built upon the fear of a new god. 
Um, this is long enough as it is. <laughs> so I'm going to skip a stock character profile today. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this play in general, Parker's interpretation in particular, or anything else that the Bacchides uh, made you think of. You can find a link or the URL for the blog in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read book seven of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.